Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. I'm your host, Greg, and we have not one, but two Tottenham Hotspur victories to talk about this week. Let's jump right into it. Joining me, as always, are my two partners in crime. Coming to us from the hills of um, the, the Miami Slopes, it is Brian Ashlock. Brian, uh, you know, I don't think we covered this adequately last week, but who was your favorite character in Avatar? Um, Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell. What was his name? Um, uh, I, I don't know. The, he was he was the one with the thing that went to the place, and then they said he had to go. So anyway, Unobtainium um, Jones. Yep, that seems like it could be a name for a person. Um, yeah, I was really interested on where you were going with the hills uh, at the start of the, I was just the stalling. introduction. There's no hills in Florida. Don't don't believe anyone says otherwise. Not well, not after you're done with them. That's true. That's true. <laughs> and uh, coming to us from uh, Pandora, it is our foremost <laughs> avatar expert, Ben Daniels. Ben, if you had to pick between Ang and Sam Worthington, <laughs> who would you choose? Uh, who's my favorite avatar? Is exactly, yes. It's like choosing between my two Well, children. Well, no, if we're going to go that way, you could pick Korra or um, Roku or um, uh, the other... M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's... My avatar. <laughs> A fitting choice for a Spurs fan. Well, as I'm sure we'll get back to Unobtainium later in this podcast, uh, but... We really need to get get into our two victories. Uh, on Sunday, was it Sunday? No, it was Saturday. Um, Tottenham, Tottenham came out uh, victorious at the Amex Stadium, 1-0 against Brighton. And today, as uh, we are recording this, Tottenham were 3-2 winners against Frankfurt, which I think uh, flatters Frankfurt, if I'm being entirely honest. Uh, let's start this conversation in the laziest way possible. Brian, have Tottenham Hotspur turned a corner? Nah, nah, we're <laughs> we're still the same. I mean, so look, uh, I think this is like the uh, better version of where we were um, in the in the past few weeks, but uh, I, there hasn't been enough change. I think the Brighton match is is somewhat different in that we did, and I'm sure we'll come on to this. We did roll out the different formation. We played the three five two that we've all been saying, "Hey, let's try this." It seemed to work well. Um, Basuma, I still have questions about whether that's he's ready yet. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is just kind of more of the same from throughout the season. Like, we're we're not playing particularly great. I guess the, the match today, I think we played a lot better. We created a lot more dangerous chances and then, you know, uh, just didn't really uh, wind up getting goals from them. But... I, I don't know. I think this is all kind of of piece with what we've been seeing all year. Ben, where, do you, where are you on I'm Spurs gonna, right now? 
I'm going to disagree completely. I, so I don't think Spurs have necessarily turned a corner, but I think Conte seems to have turned a little bit of a corner in terms of doing the things that we here at Wheeler Dealer Radio have asked him to do. And that, to me, is a very big step um, in his development. You know, I think seeing Sessegnon come in for Perisic, seeing the 3-5-2 today, um, you know, we saw Kane play as more of a facilitator for Sun, like we, we were asking for. Um, seeing Matt Doherty come into the team, like we've se- seen him do a bunch of things in a very short, you know, two-game span that like we hadn't been seeing coming into it. And so the outcome of that hasn't been like, you know, the immediate fix and like made us amazing, but I'm really pleased to see Conte recognizing that it hasn't all been working great and he should try some different stuff. And I'm pleased with how the different stuff mostly has gone. Well, I think it's really interesting if you look back to the previous Frankfurt game, which I mean, admittedly isn't too far back in the distant past, but I think starting in that game after, you know, again, I think the red card kind of distorts the Arsenal game a little bit, but I think starting with that Frankfurt game, I mean, you're seeing a Spurs team that, while not up to the levels we might like to see, they're creating chances, they're creating dangerous moves. It's it's getting back to at least a little bit what you want to see. And while I think you're right, Ben, like we're seeing him try new stuff. Now, some of that, I think, like, say, Doherty is a product of necessity, maybe more than, <laughs> than invention. But on top of that, I think you're just seeing... What is that expression, Greg? Yeah, innovation. Um <laughs> But uh, I, I think that you're seeing, like, on some level, I think some of our players have just picked up their game a little bit. Now, some of it's how they're being used. Kane's dropping deeper, I think, in the last two or three matches. He's been pinging balls from a deeper position, and I think it's really helped. But I, I think today, if we're talking about today's Frankfurt game, you know, this is the kind of game we've been missing out of Son. And I'm not just saying that because he scored two goals. I mean, that's great. But, you know, even early in the game, he was kind of getting the ball stuck under his feet like he usually did. He had that sort of ridiculous move in the box where he should have shot, like, twice before. Like, honestly, he probably just drew a penalty because that guy kind of tackled him, and I don't know why he didn't draw one. But, like, this is the kind of game we've been wanting out of Sun. Like, he's getting on the end of balls. He's getting in dangerous positions. He's creating dangerous shots. I mean, and I think there's something to be said on top of all the stuff you said, Ben. Like, I just think teams have to play us differently when, oh, no. Son is a, a nuisance, even if he's not scoring goals. Like, I, I think you're just the midfield's looking sharper. I think Hjordbjerg, I thought, had a great game today. Uh, Bentoncourt, I think, has had, I think, ever since the international break, has been playing real well. I, I do think you're seeing, and again, it's, it's not entirely clicking. There's issues in the team beyond, say, Emerson Royale. But I do think you're starting to see a sharpness in this team that was missing early in the year, um, or it's getting to the point that you'd like to see it, even if we're not quite there yet. Yeah. I mean like the second half of, you know, like after we scored our goal against Brighton, things did not go great for us. You know, I think some of that sharpness you're talking about wasn't there and they were able to put us under pressure and cause us problems in a way that we wouldn't like, but you know, besides the two stupid goals we conceded against Frankfurt today, we were in very much control of that match and played one of, you know, our best performances, I think, of the season. And, yeah, Sun was a big part of that and scored a couple of great goals. And, you know, I think still is struggling to, like, 
beat a man and run with the ball at his feet. But I think that was today was vintage. Today was vintage song. Like he was doing some of that today. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Harry Kane's missing penalties, so you know, it's just. I can't remember the last time. Maybe that time that like the the turf popped up on him was it at Southampton a couple years ago? Like, I can't remember the last time I've seen him actually like miss the goal on a penalty. You know, not at least put it on target. Like every every penalty. When I think of Harry Kane missing a penalty, I think of a keeper pulling a save off of him. I, I don't think of him kicking a field goal like he did today. I mean, he's been practicing. For his post-Spurs future, and I think he just got a little confused. Yeah, He's that's really eight, hoping that that's eight years the away. Next time here. the NFL is in London. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I look. Uh, you know, I think I think the important thing is that Conte, like Ben said, is listening to us. And um, what more could we as podcasters ask for than for uh, you know someone who's won? multiple trophies across his career um, to listen to a bunch of idiots that have never played soccer at even the college level. (laughs) Well, I thought one thing that was really interesting staying on the Brighton game is there was an interview with the coach of, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, the new coach of Brighton. And he was talking about how, yes, he was set up for our, our normal three four three, and only when the lineups came out was he like, oh no, they're not playing a three four three, and it really worked. And I mean, I, you you kind of wonder why. I mean, on some level, we've talked about it on this podcast. He, you know, part of what Conte does is I am drilling this team. You're going to do this till you get it right. This is the way we play. Yada yada yada. But at the same time, like you could just see the benefits of like throwing a curveball at another coach. And occasionally you'll see Conte do that. Like he'll either come out in a different formation or he'll switch to it in like the sixtieth minute. And you just kinda wonder why I mean, again, I understand he has his systems and his patterns, but when you can see the benefit of, of just having the team drilled and like, okay, when this isn't working, we're gonna do it like this. You know, it's, you just wonder why we don't do this more often. <laughs> And I thought it worked pretty well. I mean, you know, the addition of Basuma in midfield allows Hoiberg and Bentoncourt to be a little bit more freer, to be more involved in the attack. And then that also allows them to uh, cover out in the wide areas easier without having to worry about the middle being exposed, which means the fullbacks can get further forward. And I think just had a real big knock-on effect for the team as a whole. I don't think Basuma himself played particularly well. I think he's uh, like came within about like three inches of a straight red card, honestly. Um, and you know, I, I he still seems to need to learn the patterns. He when he doesn't have the ball, there were a couple of times where you see Spurs are moving the ball around the back, and he's just kind of standing in a triangle between like the Brighton uh strikers and attacking midfielders and it's like how how do you think you're getting the ball in this situation man uh so i I don't know i I think i think overall uh the game plan worked really well i think a lot of players played better because of it um but i think basuma needs to improve on his understanding of the patterns and his understanding of what's his role in in this team yeah i think that's absolutely correct on all counts and it does make me wonder when we're finally going to get to see an Oliver Skip start. Um, he has been on the bench a lot and is finally starting to come 
on and play some like meaningful minutes. I thought he looked bright today. Uh, I, I was shocked playing. how fast he was against. I think it was Brighton. He had a cameo at the end of the match, and he was. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was just. Not, I, I know Skip has a motor. It's, I'm not doing the sneaky white guy athleticism thing here. I am. I've just considered, given his injuries, I was shocked how mobile he looked um, in his like first sort of appearance, real appearance. Back. I mean, an injured penis doesn't affect your mobility. <laughs> well, I mean, so he didn't tear an ACL. He just <laughs> like just needs to like adequately secure it, and he should be able to run at the same speed as before. Well, yeah, just he's got to shift your thigh. He's got to adjust for two for three to two legs. That's 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 a lot of work. Fair. He's not Eric Dyer. <laughs> um, speaking of, boy, Jesus, what a terrible, terrible, terrible day at the office. He's making every Spurs uh, fan eat all their words about, like, why is it this guy starting for the England team? And Gareth Southgate's just grinding his teeth into dust and watching it. Um, but no, but, like, back to Skip. Like, he wasn't playing in that, like, deeper role at that, like, base of a midfield three like, like Basuma has, but... He looked, he looked sharp. He looked energetic. He looked lively. He looked like, you know, a guy who could do a job. And, you know, I think, I think we have a sense that he has a decent grasp of what Conte is looking for in a player, um, even though he got hurt pretty quickly under, you know, Conte's tenure. Um, and we know he can play kind of a more holding role. Uh, yeah, I'm just curious to see if we'll, if we'll get that. Yeah, I think I think Skip is kind of what I want Sar to be like, like Skip has, you know, whether he was injured or not, he has basically a year working under Conte. I mean, he didn't like just stop being around the team and didn't stop sitting in meetings and that sort of stuff. So he, she, he should have a good grasp on the patterns. He played pretty well in what the six or eight weeks that he was healthy when Conte first started. Um, Conte loved him. I mean, yeah. this isn't like Brian Heal or something. I mean, this is a guy that I guess we'll get to him in a little bit. Um, the legend. I mean, the amazing Brian Heal. <laughs> uh, but um, Conte, I mean, Conte loves Skip and, I mean, was very angry at our medical staff. I mean, I don't know if it's specifically because Skip was out, but he was very angry at our medical staff when Skip kept missing games. So, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think this is like – I don't think Skip is any sort of a charity case from our academy. Like, I think Conte wants to use him. It's just a matter of fitness. And, you know, I don't know if Conte doesn't trust it or he hasn't been ready until fairly recently. I mean, I thought it was promising today. I mean, he played, I think he came on, with, I mean, he played like 20-some minutes, if I'm not mistaken. So It felt like a meaningful cameo. Yeah. Like, I felt like we got yeah. to see him do stuff, and that's nice. Um. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the man, the myth, the legend? Let's Brian talk Heel? about Brian Heal. Just, you know, Tottenham Hotspur's very own spark plug. Uh, I, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't let other Brian, uh, you, you know, what What do you think about your kinsman, Brian? And you're oh, muted. Oh, perfect, yes. perfect timing. Perfect. Totally Brian. So, I think what I just said is, is all I really have to say. On that. <laughs> uh, no, uh, you know, look, uh, he tries really hard and that endears him to some people um and he's not lucas mora and that endears him to a great number more people um but today he was really good uh or, i mean you know good for him yeah. and he was fine <laughs> and uh you know he 
he honestly he probably could have scored two goals. Um, I don't know what Harry Kane is doing playing that pass to him like in the air uh, on that final breakaway there. Put it on the ground so he has a chance to get it. But like his like utterly hopeless like throwing himself into the air at the ball. Like I mean, the man knows what he his fans want. There and is, they want to see him chasing, you know, lost causes. There was, in the sort of pre-pandemic era, there was a professional wrestler whose name, believe it or not, was Cheeseburger. And the guy weighed, like, a buck twenty soaking wet. But would just do all this these, like... feels like a really deep cut. Yeah, no, it is. He would do these... Like, he was a guy on the indie scene, and he would just do these, like, crazy aerial moves and stuff. I mean, but it looked like... You know, anyway, that's all I can think about when I see Brian Heal throwing himself around the pitch like a rag doll. It's like, how are you going to talk shit about my love of Avatar, the highest grossing <laughs> movie of all time, and you're going to come out here with like an anecdote about a guy named Cheeseburger from the indie circuit and weighs a buck twenty? The fuck out of here! This I is mean, nonsense. In, in fairness, the double standard. Of this in fairness, podcast. he does not paint himself blue. And his name's not like unobtainium, so you know. <laughs> it's he's, he's not Sam he's Worthington either. I can, I, I can tell you what his name is. So that, that's another thing he's got in his favor. Jesus, but Brian Hill, just like you got to give that guy credit. Like he's just throwing himself around. Ben, do you think that Brian Cheeseburger Heel is being used by Conte? Is just like is is he proving a point to Daniel Levy? Does he actually think he has some use for this team? Or is he just pure, like, this game's fucking over and I want I want my real players to not get hurt? Like, I mean, what? where is he in the Tottenham Hotspur pecking order? I mean, nowhere. Like, the last performance against Frankfurt was so bad. I'm honestly shocked we saw him today. Like, that was the kind of performance of just terrible, like, worse than anonymous, just, like, actively fucking. Fucked up every time he touched the ball. Pochettino blackball guys for less. <laughs> yeah, like, I, we should have never seen him again. And so, yeah, credit to Brian for coming in, tripping over his own two feet on the breakaway immediately, but then getting back up, getting in there, winning the ball back, and earning that penalty. Like, good for him. But, wait, I... Is he particularly fast? Because he feel like, in a way that I never thought, like, I mean... When I watched him at Valencia last year, when I would watch a Valencia match, it was always like, oh, he's, like, generally fast. When I watch, like, when I watch him at Spurs, whatever else you can say about Bright Hill, it feels like that guy's shot out of a cannon each time, <laughs> every time he goes on a run. I do not remember him being this fast when I would watch him a year ago. Like, I have no impression of him being, like, grease lightning. <laughs> he's just a guy. You just think he's... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, no we'll, we'll, prob- That's for we'll, sure. we'll probably never see him again. I mean, we'll, we'll, we will definitely we'll see, him see him again. again. <laughs> but, like, no, there, there is no, like, Brian Helissance coming our way. Really? And if there is, I, I thought it wasn't be... a bad cameo today. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Like, it had some, like, comedy bits in it, but it was, like... Like, frankly, I feel like if you're, like, thinking about, like, is Brian Hill going to ever contribute to this team? Like, I could look at that performance and be like, oh, yeah, this guy could be, like, a substitute or, like, a spot starter eventually. It's terrible timing because Kuliszewski is about to be back. Lucas is back. We have Richarlison, who will, you know, become the first guy off the bench. It's just, he missed his window. He had a very narrow window to impress, and he, I don't know. I don't know if he took it, but... 
I, sure. If we start him for a League Cup game, great. I, I, let's talk about players who are actually going to impact our first 11. Um, I was – today was interesting because, you know, Richarlson I think only has the two goals um, for us this year. But this was, I thought, a really impressive performance from, from him and kind of underlined the reason we bought him. I thought this was the most that this, like, 3-4-3 has worked without Kuliszewski in it, in that – I mean, Charles. I mean, whatever else you want to say about that guy, God knows he has his deficiencies. That guy busts his ass out on the pitch. I mean, he he runs down balls. He holds off defenders. I had, I mean, I, I'm not going to pretend I've watched a lot of Everton, but, like, I'm kind of shocked how physical he is. I Like, I knew he was sort of a dirty, scrappy player, but, like, kind of watching him up close, like, I, I mean, you know, I think it's another thing that probably endeared him to Everton fans, but... I was very impressed with with Richarlson today. I think the thing is, is that eventually you're going to have to see something in terms of like end product. Like I, I agree. I think you know the hold up play, the effort, like all that sort of stuff. All that is great. And and but like at a certain point, he's also a sixty million pound player, and so you know, score twenty mm. goals. But like, if he ends the season on ten to fourteen or twelve or fifteen or something like that, then he's been worth it. But like, he needs to kind of get that rolling a little bit. And also, like, you know, the role that he plays, he's not providing a lot of assists. So what you're hoping is is that he's providing, you know, the hockey assist and the buildup. And and if he does that, then he's kind of stepping on Kane's toes a little bit and. So, I, I, I love Richardson. I think he's been a great addition. I think he was good today. But, you know, at a certain point, we have to start seeing, you know, that little bit more. The, the, the little bit more that shows, like, hey, okay, you were good at Everton, but now you're we're a step up, and we you need to take a step further. Yeah. I, I think I laid a marker down earlier in the season that he is not going to outproduce the best Nasser Chadley season we got. And while my overall feelings for Richarlison have evolved past <laughs> Nasser Chadley, um, I still think that's like, well, that's going to be an interesting bet. conversation I, because I, I think Richarlison to be worth his transfer fee does not necessarily have to score as many goals as Chadley did. It's like 10 goals. I mean, come on. Oh, well, God, I, yeah, honestly, I would have thought Chadley scored more than that. In a seat, more than that, in a seat. twelve goals. Like it's not a ton. I mean, I think he might. I, what I really want to see out of a Charleston, and obviously we can't see this now, is like I want to see him play a few games with like Kane and Kulishevsky in the front line because I, I think the left is his natural position. I think him playing with guys who could sort of feed him a little bit is going to really help him. Um, obviously, I think Son is probably the better, is definitely the better player, but you know that. I mean, if we want to see what he can do, I think that's the lineup that, um, you know, we're really going to see what he can do out of. For the yeah. record, Chadley's best season was Spurs, 11 Premier League goals, 13 in all competitions. Wow. I, mean, yeah. I thought it was higher than that. You know, I, I hate Nasser Chadley, so. I mean, I think the, thing that, the thing that kills me about Richarlison is just, like, he just can't really pass the ball. Like, he'll, he'll see it. And like overhit a through ball like really badly, and it's just 
He had a really good. Who was it to today? Was it to Kane? He had like an amazing through ball today that someone hit straight at the keeper. Like, yeah, no, he did have like a really good big chance that he made. But generally speaking, it's just like you're not going to rely on him to like pick that perfect pass. Sometimes I'll hit one because you know law of averages, but like it's not his strong suit. I think it's just what's what's impressive about him is the way he operates in the box or the final third, and that like he's really good in tight spaces. He's great at holding off defenders. I mean. The way he was just like, I mean, he was beating those Frank, whoever Frankfurt was putting on him today. Like, I mean, he was beating them like a drum. It was really impressive the way he was just like fighting with them for balls. It was. My uh, biggest problem. Sorry, go ahead, Brian. No. I was just going to say that the thing with Richarlison to me that I'm noticing is he's not really going to create his shot in the same way that Sonny and Kulisevsky sort of do. Like, he's not getting the ball out wide and then beating a man and then taking a crack from, you know, 20 yards or, you know, driving forward into the penalty box or something. I think when Richarlison is at his best is when he's receiving the ball in the penalty box. And unfortunately, the way this 3-4-3 is set up, there's nobody to do that. Uh, unless, like Ben said, or maybe it was Greg, I don't remember, I don't listen to you guys. Uh, one of you said, you know, play him with Kulisevsky. Like, I think that's the way that you're going to get the, the best out of him is is when you have somebody who is going to thread those passes through. And unfortunately, we don't have anybody in the middle of the field to make those passes because I think that's kind of what he would like is to kind of get it on the half turn, like about you know, 15 yards out from goal and be able to put a shot on the ball. I think that would really be the best use of his skills, but we're just not set up to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Like, the best case scenario is, like, Sessignon finds him at the back post or something, or, you know, we get a one of those Hoybeard runs today that, you know, overlapped into the box, and, like, he found Sun for, for that goal. And maybe Richarlison gets on the end of it instead. But, yeah, we're really, really lacking with the kind of interior passing to find somebody in the box, especially on that right side. Um, no, I was going to say glibly that my beef with Richarlison is that he doesn't, he's friends with Emerson and doesn't realize that like he's bad. And so when you're weighing your passing options, he's like, Oh, I'll, Emerson's in a better position. He's the guy I should pass it to instead of like passing it to a better player in a somewhat worse position who can do something with the ball. But isn't that Conte's fault for putting Emerson out there? Yeah, I mean, it so all comes I, back to I Conte. I want to talk about this a little bit because we, we had our we, we got we got the full metal Doherty experience uh, against Brighton, and you know I think fitness. It seems like he had a much harder injury to come back from than I think we realized. I thought Doherty was a real revelations might put oh, maybe a bit too strong, but. I thought Doherty really offered a lot. I mean, Doherty's not the best at getting the ball forward, but he really does cause chaos sort of up the pitch. And I was really happy with, at least early on in the match, how Doherty was performing. And, you know, I know part of that is we're probably going to see Emerson in Europe for the foreseeable future because he's still serving out his ban in the, in the league. But I was really happy with Doherty. And, you know, I think it's easy to forget that Darty is really kind of figuring it out under Conte when he got hurt. Now it was like a month and a half, I think. So you don't want to get too, too. Yeah, we away. joked when he got hurt that like our season was over, that Doherty was like the linchpin holding it all together. And yeah. it's not untrue. I think I mean, like he offers a lot. 
you know, you're right. He's not like going to progress the ball up the pitch. He's not going to carry the ball and go on a big run. But like, neither is Emerson. But what he does do is he gives you that outlet in the final third, receiving the ball really well, and then he can make plays. Well, at the end of the you know, day, the pitch. I think what drives you to a psychotic frenzy twice a week, Ben, is when Emerson gets the ball in the final third, it's like, with the exception of, like, a perfect cross that he laid on today at one point, like, he just, you know, he is not as good with the ball as you would like him to be. And, you know, honestly, Doherty's sort of like the opposite of that because he's not as good defensively as Emerson can be in our, I mean, you know, obviously when he has a problem it gets magnified, but he's not as good defensively as Real, but he does know what to do when he gets in the final third. Like, he understands, like, there feels like an understanding of, like, this is when I cross it. This is when I dribble it into the box. This is, like, he knows how to interplay with the offense in a way right. that... This is when I pass to Kuliszewski and make an yep. interior run to become the outlet for the, for the cross. And, you know, they had a really good relationship, and it'll be exciting if they can both get on the pitch together soon because that was a really good right flank that has just been missing, I think, most of this season. And I think playing the 3-5-2 allows him to just kind of camp further up the pitch. And, I mean, I think we saw early on in the Brighton game, he was getting in on those back post runs and being pretty dangerous, like, from the beginning of the game. And he really wasn't, you know, getting hung out to dry defensively because we had the additional help in midfield. Um you know, we saw him do it in a three-four-three last season. I think that's probably not, not the best way to use him. But I mean, he's basically our our main competent right back at this point. The um, the, but that's like sort of the issue with three-five-two, and it's 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 the sort of double-edged sword with that, in that you kind of have a hard time fitting Kulishevsky into that into that formation. But if he's hurt. <laughs> Yeah, I, Why and, not? I, mean, I think, you know, there's ways you can play around with it. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a thought or are you disagreeing? I said my thoughts. I said so many great thoughts. <laughs> and all you're doing is just saying, yeah, those are really great thoughts. And now you're coming back to me like I was supposed to put a bow in this whole fucking thing. Yeah, man. Give me a break. That's how this works. Um... Somebody else can do some heavy lifting. Let's Jeez. let's flip to the other side of the pitch because I think and I think podcasting this... with two Emerson Royales over here. Yeah, thanks, Ben. That's that's great. Uh, I'll take it. He seems like a really nice guy. <laughs> he does. You know what? It's we should give him credit. We uh, you know a, as the uh, internet's most communist Tottenham Hotspur podcast as Ben has gotten us labeled. Like we should take some joy in that we have maybe the only two Brazilian national team players who aren't a problem on our team. Like. I mean, I think Richarlison... also have... Yeah, no, I mean, we have the one who's the biggest problem. I mean, to be fair, you got to sort of weigh it up. Like, Lucas might be a fascist, but I don't think he fucks any members of his family. So, you know, who's worse, him or Neymar? I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, I don't and know. I mean, if I were Richarlison, I'd hate Bolsonaro, too, if they're trying to take my cool <laughs> island with a waterfall. Like, fuck those guys. Um, so, yeah. I don't... Do we know that Emerson's... Pro or anti, one way or the other. He no, has, but keep his mouth shut, and that's that's which is, great. <laughs> honestly, that's important. Like, if you're not going to be one of the good guys, at least shut the hell up. He said enough other good guy stuff that I think we could make suppositions. But considering that, like, 
what other members of the Brazilian national team do. Like, he seems like a pretty good guy. Yeah, the bad ones are so vocal that not being vocal, I think, is telling in its own Yeah, way. like, Everson's, like, so high up on the, like, good guy Brazilian rankings by just <laughs> seeming like, what does he do in his spare time? He, like, posts comps, like, plays drums with Lucas and, like, Richarlson, and I, I guess he also gets shot at, but that doesn't seem to have to, that's the reflection on his doesn't character. doesn't seem like that was his fault. <laughs> no, that doesn't seem like it's his fault. Um, but, uh... Yeah, no, no. So I mean, we should probably give Richarlson or, uh, or Emerson a little more credit for that. But I want to switch to the other side of the pitch, who is much less problematic in a whole variety of ways. Uh, let's talk about uh, Sessegnon, who I thought had a very good game today. And I was, as I was watching it, I was struck by, like, like how is this guy not in our team sooner? I mean, I understand that he had his problems, but, like, like it's not like, I, I don't know, like, he's he's a He's, it's not like he's like Danny Rose and it was just a fast guy who didn't know how to play fullback and they had to sort of figure that out. It was just, you know, I feel like he's always been this guy to a certain extent and maybe needed seasoning. Maybe it's just he came into the team at the absolute wrong time. But I thought he had a great game today. I mean, you know, him putting on that muscle I think has really helped his game. Um, not enough to change it from what I was talking about, but I think it's really helped his game. I thought, frankly, he was incredibly unlucky not to have one, if not two, pretty in- – like amazing goals today. I uh, just really a menace, very good, very defensively solid. I mean, I don't want to get too carried away. It's Frankfurt, but you know, you got to be happy with what you're seeing out out of Sessignon on the on the left. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing is is like he's still just 22 years old and you know, he's been with us like this is like his third season. So, I'm not super mad that we haven't seen more of him sooner, but seeing him develop the way he has at 22, it's like, oh, cool, we could have, like, this guy for a decade, and that's pretty nice. Um, you know, it's nice to have, like, a potential... You know, we don't have a, a super young team right now, and so, like, finding a guy at that age, like him and Kuliszewski, you're like, oh, these guys can be, like, key pieces of, like, the next great Tottenham Hotspur team. And, you know, I think Sessegnon's obviously not in Kuliszewski's territory right now, but he looks like he's getting there. Like he looks like inches away from being like very, very good. Um, and until then he's just been just really good. I'm just amazed that a guy who, and I am maybe reading too much into what was going on with him at Spurs, but a guy who seemingly had major confidence issues coming into when Conte took over the team, like the Conte looked at him and was like, yes, you like, and they made it work. Like, and I think it's great. I think it's everyone's credit. I'm just, I'm just very surprised that it happened. He does not seem like a guy who I think Conte would like grab onto and sort of build up. Yeah, I mean, especially with Regulon on the books, you know, obviously that went sideways, but like he was the clear guy ahead of him in the pecking order, and Conte chose to do the opposite. And yeah, I think he has, Conte hasn't made a lot of like interesting, hard choices like that, I think, in his time at Spurs, but that's definitely one of them. And is very much to his credit. Yeah, and I think the, uh, you know, the the signing of Perisic this year could have kind of worked in a couple of different ways for, for Sessegnon. It could have worked in the way that, like, he got relegated to the bench and we didn't see him much again and he took that personally or whatever. Uh, but it seems like he's taken it as an opportunity to really continue his progression. 
and you know, I mean, starting from when he destroyed Kyle Walker Peters, um, based on Parasich's advice to just like body him. Uh, it's time to you know, go go knock him over. <laughs> yeah, like, and you know, I. I don't know to what extent Perisic has any involvement in his improvement or his development. Maybe none whatsoever. But the point of the matter is, is we've got a, a player who is, generally speaking, a world-class wingback. And Jesseon is holding his own with him. And in all honesty, probably playing better than him so far. So uh, I, I think, you know, uh, that's that's a great problem to have. Yeah, for sure. And Conte made a comment this week about, you know, having not seen the best of Parasich yet. And, you know, he hasn't looked great, especially lately. Um, who knows? He may take the spot back. But, like you said, good problem to have. And while he's been relegated to the bench, Sessignon has been fully deserving of that spot. Well, I thought one thing that stuck out to me today about Sessignon's performance, which was, you know, I mean, I think it's like, it's, it's, you know, he's getting in good positions. He's he's. I mean, he's always sort of tight defensively in a way that I think is very impressive. But he pulled out like a cross on the goal line that I, I think Richarlson was a little unlucky not to put. I mean, it would have been called off for a foul, but like that Richarlson didn't put in the net. And it, it that very much struck me as that kind of like Parasich like digs a cross out of nowhere kind of move that, you know, I, I'm not saying that, like, Parasich is, you know, like, teaching him, like, Yoda or something, but it it, it was something that I, I don't think of Sessegnon doing, <laughs> um, and I was I was just sort of struck by it, because it felt like, I think if Parasich had done that, none of us would have been terribly surprised. Yeah. I mean, the one thing Parasich has been good at, and we've talked about before, is his delivery, I mean, his set-piece delivery especially, but he managed to dig across out of nowhere and that felt very parasitchy of him today to like manage that cross from a tough position to find Richarlison pretty cleanly at the back post. Uh, yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited for Sessignon. I was a big Sessignon skeptic when we signed him and I will be happy to eat my words with that kid. It's, you know, again, I keep coming back to it, but for a guy who at least, to an outside observer who probably reads too much about the team, but, you know, obviously I'm not in the locker room. Like, I mean, this is a guy who's had major confidence issues at Spurs. Like, didn't start for, what what was it, two years? Like, got loaned out to, what was it? What was the German team? Was it uh, Hoffenheim? Uh, I mean, yeah. got loaned out to the Bundesliga. Like, the, Mourinho clearly didn't want him around the team. I mean, this is a guy who... You know, I would not have been surprised if just, like, crumbled under that sort of, like, pressure and rejection. But he's really, I mean, displayed, I, I think, a real strength of character. And that he is kind of, uh, again, I think of what Brian said. Like, I think that him and Perisic have developed, like, a real partnership as opposed to, like, you know, him getting sort of bumped down the pecking order. And I think that's a real credit to a guy who, you know, had some real problems betting in at Tottenham. And... I, I think it's a real credit because I don't think anyone would have blamed him if he was like, you know, I mean, look at how much, look at how much slack we give, you know, in Dombele and uh, to a lesser extent with Celso. No, we, no. We, we, okay, you give, but look how many, many Spurs fans, they give these guys tons of slack because they walked into it, even I will admit, like a disaster of a team that was like, didn't get stabilized till Conte was here. I mean, 
you know, those guys get a ton of slack. I think Sessignon would have gotten some slack. He's like, yeah, you know what, fucking sell me a Southampton or whatever, and, like, I'll go play well somewhere else that isn't, like, a total mess. No, he stuck it out and, like, really found his feet under one of the most demanding managers in the and psychotic managers in the world. And I think it is enormously to his credit. Yeah, he did a good job. Development right there. Coaching, mentorship, you know, the good stuff. Who knew? Who knew? That's all we needed. Coaches are important. Write that down, guys. Um, so one of the things that's been pointed out about this recent run of fixtures is it's been a pretty shitty week for Tottenham Hotspur players, for the Tottenham Hotspur staff, team, whatever you want to call it, uh, with their, uh, John Piero, the, the, uh, the fitness coach under contract. Yeah. He passed away very suddenly, apparently. And, you know, it's kind of funny cause it's not funny, but it's, it's ironic. I, I don't know. It was interesting, I guess. Maybe that's the right word. That, you know, you never know how much this affects people. And, you know, you look at the Brighton game, and I think divorced from the knowledge of what was going on with the team, I think, you know, some of the same problems that we've seen with this squad just reappeared. But at the same time, like, you know, you watched what happened after the match. You watched, like, I mean, Harry Kane could barely get an interview out after the game. Um, Son was clearly affected. Conte was crying during the match. Hugo Lloris was like, took a jersey out with the guy's name on it and was like showing it to the away fans after the match. Like, I, I, I think this has probably been one of the better weeks on the pitch for Spurs in terms of the results and the performance that they've dug out. But it really is even more impressive when you consider like, this is not, I mean, this has clearly been a deeply a very difficult week for the team. Um, and especially when you sort of dig into the interviews and stuff. Um, and I, I'm frankly kind of impressed with how they've pulled through it. Yeah. And I, I mean, you know, from an outsider's perspective, you, uh, you wouldn't have maybe expected, um, for, for them to, uh, that coach to have made that much of an impact or, or to have, um, touched those players in quite the same way it, it, over the course of, what, 10 months. Um, but I think it really kind of speaks to, um, you know, what the new staff under Conte uh, has been able to accomplish. Um, and, I mean, we've been pretty blessed in terms of, uh, as Spurs fans, in terms of the, the coaching staffs and, like, the familial atmosphere that the club has fostered over the years. I mean, you know, you're talking about, uh, Pochettino and his staff and how, you know, they always felt familial with the players. Like, you know, it always seemed like um, that there was a lot of love and appreciation. And then we had the uh, Mourinho and Nuno eras where that kind of like died and went away. And, and it seemed to be just like mutual dislike. Or, or in Nuno's case, just like general distance from the players, um, and you know th- this is really humanizing for for us as fans. Like you know, we think of Harry Kane as a as a football automaton, and you know to see that you know he's this affected by someone who's been in his life for you know ten months, eleven months, whatever the whatever the time period was is um, it, 
it's 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 weird and uh, i mean weird in, in that you don't think of him that way not weird that he would have been impacted it's, it's, it's weird to get a like, window into it which is something i right. don't think we typically do get and so like i said i think it speaks greatly of of john piero vetrone him specifically and his impact um it's i think it speaks you know significantly of conte and the and the rest of the staff's impact on the team and the club um you know, obviously, it's a very sad situation, and and um, but uh, but I think you're right. I think that it, you know, the team really came together and and put together some pretty decent performances. Yeah, I think I think you're you're right, Brian. And I know for me as a fan, you know, the Pochettino era of that warmth around the ground and within the squad and with the coaches and everything was like a very big part of like why that was such a beloved era of, of the team. Like, yes, we were very good on the pitch, but there's just such a spirit of camaraderie and good feeling, you know, top to bottom that I think, you know, for me, at least I, I kind of missed that it was happening under Conte. Like, I'll be honest, I don't think I knew, you know, John Piero, the Marine, by name, by it, certainly not by a nickname, you know, when he passed. And I feel like, you know, I, I personally overlooked that this kind of sentiment was building within the squad. You know, Conte is not the easiest, warmest guy like Pochettino was. And, you know, I think it's sad that it takes a moment like this for me to recognize it and you know i don't you know i don't think i'm both unique and i don't think i'm representative of of the fan base but you know it is a nice reminder of what we're putting together on and off the pitch um in, in this current moment and you know even if the performances haven't been been beautiful and like risen to the highs that we hope it hoped it would have this season i think recognizing that feeling of of you know good goodwill and solidarity within the squad and within the coaches is is just a, a nice reminder and kind of makes everything you know feel like we're pulling in the same direction in a way that i i had certainly overlooked yeah i think for me the thing that really i mean it all kind of struck me because i think like ben said i i couldn't i couldn't pick this guy out of a lineup before you know, two weeks ago. Um, and, you know, that might be on me, but, you know, I certainly wasn't aware of him in the way that we were aware of, say, like, you know, Pochino's assistants, who we could all pick out on site, um, like Jesus Perez. But, um, you know, like, what really struck me was when, like, at full time of the Brighton match and Hugo Lloris, um, like, got the jersey with the guy's name on it and, like, walked over to the to – the, to the uh, away section. I don't know why that struck me. Uh, I mean, obviously seeing Kane, like, barely able to get a word out was affecting, but, like, just seeing that, I mean, you know, we've seen a lot of reports about how sort of happy Conte is at Spurs, and I think what Ben said is right. I think there is maybe more of a camaraderie and a familial atmosphere. I mean, we certainly knew the players liked Conte, but, like, you know, I think we'd kind of maybe forgotten what it was like because the Mourinho era was so ugly and the Nuno era was somehow even uglier. And, you know, and I think, you know, Conte's got a reputation as a mercenary, one that is, like, richly deserved. 
in a lot of ways, but you can really see, I think, this team is a very tight unit, and it, it, it's just been, it's, I mean, I wish we didn't have to see it like this, but it's been interesting to see it on display this week, and if there's a, if there's any sort of upside to a guy passing away very suddenly, which is obviously a tragedy, and you don't wish on anyone or anyone's family or friends, but, you know, if there's any upside to the, any of this, it's sort of seeing this play out, where you can just see how close the team is, and it's, if there, so that, that's been the positive, if there is one of this, and I don't mean to make light of a man's death or anything, but. Yeah, no, sure. I don't think anyone thinks you're <laughs> making I'm, light of a tragedy. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's, it's also just like a, a reminder of, you know, the interiority and humanity of these people that we just expect to go do things on a football pitch, and sometimes, you know, you forget that but I think that's what there's we, a lot going on. And, and I think it's something that's good to be reminded of that exists, or at least was it, exists within the players that we follow, because I think there is a, uh, you know, I think it's easy to default to think these guys are like all like Ronaldo, who are like robots who don't have normal human emotions and don't relate to people, or which is probably being, I mean, you know, fuck it, I don't care if I'm being unfair to Ronaldo, but like, you know, it's nice to see these people as humans, even if the situation is not lending itself to that. Because I think too often we sort of, a lot of times these guys become vessels for our own interpretations or emotions. And it's just, you know, it is good, like you said, to remember, to, to be, to see these people as people as opposed to just, you know, players or robots. Yeah. So um, Brian Heal. Brian Heal, man. Um, who has worse facial hair on the team, Brian Heal or Matt Doherty? Doherty. I cannot. That's a horrible look. Just pull the ripcord on this emotional moment and move on. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. I mean, Doherty looks like he's sick. Like, it's like, God, shave that, man. Like, it's not good. Not too soon, Craig. Oh, sorry. <laughs> now I am making light of it. Um... Yeah, no, it's uh, it's not good. Uh, Brian Hill, yeah, no, Brian Hill, keep that wispy mustache forever, forever, Brian, forever. Yeah, I mean, at least with Brian Hill, like it goes with his whole thing. Yes, like that's fair. You it's know, a vibe. It's a vibe. Yeah, like like Matt Doherty just looks. He's trying to fit in at Barstool, and um, you know, I I can't have that. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Thanks for reminding me. How... Thanks to undermining all the feel-good atmosphere <laughs> we just discussed. And so when you think about it, really, Emerson Royale should be right <laughs> How are Because he uh... probably doesn't even know who Dave Portnoy is. You're right, you're right. Just those who Dave uh, Portnoy, Portnoy Inho is. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure there's some terrible I mean, isn't that school. just regular Dave Portnoy? Yeah, but tiny? I'm not sure how that would work. Yeah, like I said, regular Dave, Dave Portnoy. Uh, yeah, fair <laughs> Forgot he was standing on his tiptoes in that picture. Um, every picture. Every picture. Every picture, yes, yes. Um, Absolutely insane behavior. How, how are you guys feeling about Everton this weekend? Emerson? Are Everton still Everton, bad? Everton. Now, I know how you're feeling about Everson, Ben, and it probably involves a restraining order. So, Yeah, Everton seemed to be miraculously kind of figuring things out. In a way that I was not prepared for. Um, well, there's, there's figuring things out and there's being Stoke, but effective. At, I mean, like, yeah, I mean, like they're not good. You know, like they beat Southampton a couple weeks ago. They beat West Ham. We couldn't do that. 
They scored against Man U before collapsing. You know, they they're playing. Um, you know, I think the big thing is is they have settled on this midfield three with um, Idrissa Gay, who's back, and um, this kid Onana, who's a very good defensive midfielder. And yeah, they could they could cause our two man midfield some problems. Um, you know, they brought in Neil Lopai. Mopay, Mopay, I don't know. You turn into me, Ben? Like you turn into me? What's going on here? You know, he's French. I, I don't know how people say things in France. Um, so, like, they have, like, a pseudo striker. He's not great, but he's there. Uh, I think it causes some problems. We should beat Everton. It's fucking Everton. But they're they're not the, you know, pushovers that I think we all expected out of them this season. How is it that Every other club in the Premier League can sign these midfielders from France and no, other no, no. countries. Hold on, and they hold just on. Come Signing in. defensive midfielders is not Tottenham Hotspur's problem. <laughs> like, no, but I'm just saying, like, how come they, we could sign that they Everton can sign this Onana kid and he comes in and he's amazing, or not amazing, but he's like functional as a Premier League player right away. And meanwhile, we've signed both Ndombele and Giovanni Lo Celso, who somehow miraculously forgot how to football. Uh, I, like, why is everybody else so much better at that than us? Daniel Levy. Analytics. There's probably an analytics. All I know is we signed all these great midfielders under Daniel Levy when he was running his own transfer shop, so. It's true. And, and in Domboy, but you know. Yeah. And we developed Harry Winks, you know, so. (laughs) And Tom Carroll, so. I think the most annoying, the most annoying thing for me is seeing Alex Awobi go from mediocre winger to Musa Dembele in midfield this season. Um, Were we linked with him? That's what I want someone to do: is to take some fucking shitty dribbly guy and make him a midfielder and make my dreams come true. And we keep not doing it. But wouldn't you now, then want that mid- dribbly midfielder to become a, a fullback? <laughs> Well, it's, it's like it's, you get stages, right? right? Yeah. So at some point, Alex Wobe needs to start playing more left back is what I'm Yeah, say. yeah. Eventually he'll get there. Well, I can't think of a better note to be... end an episode of Wheeler Dealer Radio on than we should convert this player to being left back. So, uh, Ben, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me tweeting from the Goog at uh, Comrade U Spurs. <laughs> Brian, where can people find you on the internet? I can't believe we didn't even talk about that. That seemed yeah, like you know we what? When it actually happens, we can talk about it. How about that? All right, that's fine. Well, we could riff on that for you know most of the yeah. We're gonna show. need a one game week before we do that. Maybe maybe during the World Cup when we're just looking for things to talk about. There we go. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. And you can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079. You can find our podcast at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. And don't forget to leave us a nice review on iTunes or Spotify because we are good boys and we deserve it. For Ben, for Brian, and of course for Brett Rainbow, I've been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs. <laughs>